0: uh Good morning. This is Dr. Nabil Khoury, a faculty member at the St. Mary Mercy Hospital Emergency Medicine Residency Program. And today I really have the uh, privilege of welcoming uh, attorneys Maggie Smith and Sarah Woodward, who are federal prosecutors in the Eastern District of Michigan. Uh, they just presented a, a wonderful uh, lecture at our Grand Rounds talking about um, human trafficking and uh, exploitation, and wanted, wanted to, first of all, welcome you both here. And I had a few questions for you, kind of in follow-up to the lecture, and um, wanted to ask you uh, regarding, uh, particularly as a parent myself, uh, what are the duties to protect, from the parents' perspective? You know, we talk about runaways and so forth, and and you know, in medicine, of course, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And one question I had is, uh, before children uh, get, you know, in a in a position of potential exploitation or abuse, what uh, what legal um, uh, protections are there for for parents to actually uh, be kind of the first line of defense?
1: I think that I would recommend two kind of avenues with our kids the first is you want to be involved in their life and knowing who they're hanging out with who they're friends with where they're going um, the types of people they socialize with and then on the other hand you want to know what they're doing online and I'll let Sarah talk to the um, internet activity
2: Right. So um, I just like parents to know that the Internet can be a very dangerous place for children and the things that you are aware of as dangerous to your children, like um, potentially drug abuse or alcohol or things that we all know to worry about the internet should be on that list and that the internet comes into your home at a much earlier age and we do see children as young as six seven eight exploited online so I tell parents they shouldn't have any sort of expectation of privacy um, that their children shouldn't over their devices and they should really monitor what their kids are doing online however if a parent does have a situation where the child's maybe having some trouble or is at risk of running away parents can call CPS parents can call the police parents can try to seek therapy get involved they, they should be, be ready to ask for help and, and get it to prevent the child from running away in the first place because, of course, I think as we all understand now, once the child does run away from home, the dangers are pretty great.
0: Okay, absolutely. One one concern that I uh, that kind of uh, came to my mind while listening to your lecture is the responsibilities of parents. For example, in cases and, and without uh, commenting on any specific cases, uh, situations like female genital mutilation, where the parents are aware of this, what are the legal ramifications for parents to protect their children from this? Uh, if any.
2: Uh, so FGM is really different than all of the other crimes that we've been talking about. FGM is like a child abuse situation, and certainly in um, criminal sexual conduct, child abuse cases, you have parents that are involved. And so for me, I would put FGM in that category. It's different, it's unique, um, and perhaps not the same as, as other child abuse, but it's it's in that kind of category. Whereas this other child exploitation that might happen online or sex trafficking really comes from um, the vulnerability vulnerabilities that a child inherently has where they might be exploited outside of the home.
1: We've also had cases where children are exploited by other family members, by a stepfather, by a brother, by a cousin, and so parents really should be encouraged to do something about it. If you think your child is being abused, um, like Sarah said, you can get CPS involved, you can call the police and put an end to these children being abused.
0: For emergency physicians, um, in your mind, what are the uh, trends that we should be looking for? We, we all get some training in terms of identification of child abuse and, and chi- you know child sexual abuse. Are there new trends that you're seeing that we should be more aware of?
1: I think we talked extensively in the human trafficking world about what to look for. Mm-hmm. Uh, we look for vulnerable victims. We look for signs of sexual as well as physical abuse. We look for signs that um, a victim has been trafficked. They may be branded by a tattoo or by some other sort of marking. Um, Any of those physical signs as well as the emotional reactions that give us that reaction in our gut that something is going on is something we should be paying attention to.
2: As far as trends, though, I think we do see more um, women getting involved in the trafficking of others. We are also seeing frankly, kids (laughs) trafficking other kids. So an 18-year-old that might be posting a 16-year-old. We also see an increase in um, sextortion, where children uh, are being extorted by someone to continue to produce child pornography. And in some cases, it might come up in the emergency room context, the person extorting the child from states away might be asking them to insert things into their anus or their vagina. And, um, And the child does, because they're afraid that if they don't, that their pictures are going to be sent to everyone in their high school and that kind of um, I don't know the compliant is the right word but where the child is forced to have a role in their own exploitation by someone else and maybe the parent first discovers it by looking through the child's phone that's definitely on the rise and some children are exploited like this for a long time before someone realizes it
0: thank you for that Um, one question I had listening to your lecture is: what proportion of victims are males we've talked mostly about female victims
2: in the trafficking context, I don't know if it's because it's what we are, what we look for, and what we see. But we, our cases, I would say, so far have all involved female victims. Child exploitation is different, though, and we do see boys exploited online. Maybe not quite as much as girls, but there are a number of cases of boys that are exploited by men that pretend to be teenage girls. So you've got a 14-year-old boy, thinks he's talking to a 15-year-old girl who's beautiful. She sends him a picture of herself. Of course, it's just a a bad guy sending him child pornography, and then asks him to take explicit photographs or videos. He does, and then the boy can be exploited um, until he is comfortable seeking help. So we see a lot of boys exploited online.
1: Definitely, Um, but also some things to keep in mind are the dynamics between our boy victims and our girl victims. So boy victims are less likely to come forward if they're being sextorted, if they're being abused. And parents may be less likely to monitor their Internet activities than they do with their girls because there's kind of this natural tendency to assume that the girls are potential victims and the boys are not.
2: And you might have boys that are being extorted because they might be questioning their sexuality and that might make them even less likely to come forward and ask for help so we see boys exploited online but we probably have a lower incident of reporting for boys for those reasons
0: thank you and then one last question Um, talking about forced labor. I noticed in your slide that there, if I recall correctly, the, uh, there weren't any minimums for, of punishment for those uh, traffickers in, in labor. Um, can you speak to that? It's, it seems kind of surprising uh, in the sense that it's uh, slavery really in, in uh, any other term
2: sure well you know as far as the minimums go i guess you have to take that up with congress so we have the the, the code that we have but i will say that labor trafficking presents its own challenges so it's really a continuum of Um, bad labor conditions that might be illegal, right? So someone might get paid something, but maybe it's not enough. Maybe the working conditions are bad. Maybe um, the hours are too long, something like that. And then at what point does it shift over so it's so severe that it's completely forceful? A lot of our cases are going to be more in the middle, where someone might get paid. Maybe it's not what they thought they were going to get paid, but proving that it's complete forced labor A complete forced labor, slavery situation, we don't see as much. We're going to see stuff in the in between. And proving it's really difficult because the victims are incredibly afraid. They're always afraid about what's going to happen to their family and their home country, usually with good reason. Like it's usually a very real fear that something terrible might happen to their family. So sometimes those victims just want to get out of the situation and they want nothing to do with prosecution. Um, So I don't know why there's not mandatory minimums, but I will say that it's a sort of gradation of behavior. and the really, really severe is not as common. The in-between is what we see. And they're also really hard cases to prove.
0: Well, I want to thank you both, uh, Maggie Smith and Sarah Woodward, uh, federal prosecutors in the Eastern District of Michigan, for taking the time to speak with us. Thank you very much for your lecture and all the great work that you're doing. And this is Dr. Corey ending this session. Thank you.